0: Hello friends and welcome to episode 93 of Batflips and Maple Dips. I am Patrick. He is Justin out in Saskatoon. Justin, how you doing out in Saskatoon?
1: Doing well, man. You know what? I'm going out to see Tenet tonight uh, in IMAX. First time I'll be going to a movie theater in the COVID world. Um, pretty pleased with how they're spacing out. They've got like groups of two... And every second row is kind of spread out. There's always like six or eight seats between pairs. So we're with a few buddies, so it'll be interesting to go together, but not sit together, I guess. Even though, I mean, when you're in a movie, you don't talk anyway, unless you're an asshole. Um, but yeah, that's what doing tonight. Uh, looking forward to getting kind of back into something somewhat normal.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, for me, I don't know. It makes me nervous thinking about going to the movie theater like that but if there was one movie that i would go see in theaters if i was going to go it would be tenet but i'm probably going to sit this one out and hopefully it gets released to home rental or whatever you want to call it sooner than later i just i'm just kind of i don't know i it sounds like the setup that you're going to is you know as good as it gets And it's probably no more a danger than going to the grocery store. In fact, it's probably safer because people uh, don't seem to be observing social distancing whenever I go to the grocery store. So (laughs) at least it's nice to hear the movie theaters uh, are, you know, sucking it up and they're actually, you know, taking the right effort, which is cool. Well, um, I'm glad to hear you're doing well i myself have been pretty busy with work and also super busy watching the jays play um although we're gonna start off this week with uh maybe a a little a little bit of eulogizing and it's it's weird to do this because we're not a hockey podcast but i i feel obligated to talk about This particular player because they were such an exciting player that I watched play growing up. And also, you know, we did this for Stan Makita way back in the day. And I think it's important that we kind of keep it going because hockey players are a big deal in Canada. And this guy was uh, pretty much as big as it gets. Uh, So just this past week, uh, Dale Howard Chuck passed away. He was only 57 years old. He passed away after losing his battle with cancer. Uh, He. Played most of his career, uh, split between the Winnipeg Jets and the Buffalo Sabres. Justin, you're a hockey guy. Do you remember Dale Chuck at all? Um, or did he come a little bit too early for you as far as uh, his time in the NHL? A little
1: too early for me. I mean, I was I was born in 93, so he's a bit before my time.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, I was born in 86, so I, I kind of – I didn't quite – get to watch him when he was at his peak, but he, he you know, tore his way through the NHL uh, in the mid to late 80s. Uh, and he was he was just a memorable player because he was exciting to watch. He was a great playmaker. Uh, he was a part of that line with uh, Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky during the 87 Canada Cup. He was actually named MVP during the, the winning game. Uh, He was actually on the ice, and he had an assist on the uh, the deciding game, if I'm not mistaken, or the deciding goal. Um, But he had this reputation within the hockey community as being someone who absolutely loved the sport, always very pleasant to deal with, a true gentleman of the sport. Um, Just in case anybody uh, didn't know, uh, Howard Chuck had scored over 500 goals and well over a thousand points in his career and he was a bona fide hall of famer he made the hall of fame in 2001 and starting in 2010 uh he got back into hockey and he was coaching the barry colts uh where he remained until his illness uh prevented him from continuing during uh last season not uh 2019 2020 but the one before that fortunately the colts missed the playoff that that year but um You know, Howard Chuck, he was a great player, and he's definitely going to be missed. And I think it's really telling that uh, Winnipeg Jets executive uh, chairman Mark Chipman announced that the Jets would build a statue of Howard Chuck outside the MTS center. Um, It was really cool to hear that Chipman was able to tell uh, Howard Chuck before he passed away. Um, It just kind of i remember listening to um uh, the uh ray and dregs podcast uh that's done through uh tsn uh those guys are talking about him quite a bit and um uh i think it was uh ray ferraro mentioned how cool it was that dale got to know that before he passed away so we're starting uh, off the week on uh, maybe a bit of a down note, but, um, you know, RIP to Dale Chuck, one of the best players uh, ever to play the game. And um, if you're still watching the NHL playoffs, we've only got one Canadian team left, so might as well throw, uh, throw your support behind the Canucks. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the playoffs, uh, Justin, or are you done?
1: Hey, I, I've always said as soon as the Leafs throughout it's baseball season, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah that was me uh as soon as the Jays started playing because i didn't really have yeah. uh, a horse in the race although i was watching a lot of games uh in the first round and it was pretty exciting but uh now it's not so much now i think it's just going to be all jays i thought this would be a good time to, to mention howard chuck since for sure uh there's only one canadian team left and uh who knows what's going to happen with them uh as usual thanks for tuning into the show we are on facebook uh, although we don't really use that platform as much anymore we are on twitter at bfmd podcast check us out on anchor itunes spotify google podcasts TuneIn, stitcher we're still not on nexopia we're working on it it's, it's 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 a hard one it's a hard n- uh, nut to crack but uh i digress all right, so Justin, uh, you got some news for us about the Blue Jays. What do, what's uh, what's on tap this week for us to talk about?
1: Well, sticking with uh, somewhat sad news, if you're, if you're me, um, the longest tenured Blue Jay, believe it or not, Anthony Alford, was DFA'd by a team this past week. Um, he made his first appearance with us in 2017, and over the four years that he kind of bounced around, he's only given 71 at-bats, which... For me, it was was kind of surprising. It just feels like he's been on the roster for long enough to have like a few hundred. But every time he was up, we just didn't give him a chance to play. So, I mean, his career average in those 71 at-bats is 155. So, I mean, he didn't do a lot with those 71 at-bats, but just the other day on the broadcast, um, Buck and Dan were talking about how it takes 1500 at-bats in the big leagues before you know what a guy's capable of. So, Anthony was not given even 10% of those. Not even five percent. So yeah, he did not get his fair shake with the team, unfortunately, which is probably due to the fact that he uh, was injured often. Um, any thoughts on Alfred Patrick? I'm
0: really sad about it because I feel like he wasn't given uh, enough of an opportunity. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. He's only had seventy one at bats, and we're tossing him out. Uh, you know, like he's old news. I understand. Yeah. We have so many pitching injuries that we we need pitching. That's why we have a bench of three right now. Um, but I, I also felt like Alfred never really was given the right chance. And even though he certainly did not perform at the plate, uh, even remotely close to MLB expectations, mm-hmm. defensively, he was still great. He was a hell of an athlete. He looks like an <laughs> athlete. He's got all the skills needed to be a an everyday regular MLB outfielder. But for some reason, he just didn't put it together. And I'm hoping somebody claims him uh, because I'd rather he get a chance to play somewhere else if the Jays aren't going to play him. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he's been on waivers for a handful of days already and he hasn't been claimed yet. So, uh, I mean, obviously, if he passes through, he can elect to go to the alternate training site or he can electric free agency and then anyone's free to sign him obviously if he gets claimed then uh, a team can initiate a trade for him with the jays which i don't think he would fetch much anyway so i think we'll see him pass through uh, we've kind of passed the point of where um, miami and st louis needed to pick up all every player available it's just to a roster uh so i don't think he will get claimed by those teams but yeah hopefully he does get a chance um another guy DFA at the same time or just recently actually was Thomas Pannone this is firmly going to put your Thomas Pannone hype train in the museum of BFMD history Uh, so I mean over his tenure with the Jays as both a starter and reliever he pitched to a 543 ERA, 514 FIP um, did average 7.5 strikeouts per 9 and and 3.5 walks per 9 so the, the, the walk and strikeout numbers don't look bad it's just the fact that he really had a tough time um, towards the end of his starting tenure just keeping the ball in the, in the yard. He was giving up a lot of muffins, as you like to call them. Yeah. Um, he showed some promise early, kind of how like our boy Sammy Gaviglio started last season. Uh, but yeah. once Major League hitters figured him out, uh, he wasn't able to make adjustments. And he has not been claimed yet either. But again, somebody's going to give him a shot.
0: Yeah, certainly, and and it it doesn't make me sad that the hype train has come to a stop, uh. But you know, sometimes we see these players who are young. They they start off on our team. They're rookies or they're uh, young players that we traded for, and we will You know, they get a chance with the Jays and they do something, and it's special. And yeah. they probably put a lot of pressure on themselves to be successful. And uh, after the first uh, little taste of Thomas Pannone that we got, remember I was hyping up his numbers because they looked pretty pretty uh, average, which, you know, for <laughs> – Isn't a know, bad thing? <laughs> you, it's Yeah, I mean, in this day and age where uh, one year you could be like Shelby Miller who has a great season and everybody's talking about signing him to big money and then the next season he gets absolutely shelled and I have no idea where Shelby Miller is now, but I don't think it's an MLB.
1: No idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then, we've seen other guys like uh, Faulty got mm-hmm. optioned. It, was he DFA'd or optioned?
1: He was optioned.
0: Yeah. So I mean, they still retain him, but I believe maybe,
1: it, but he passed through regardless. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just it's wild to me, like to see guys go out there and put together, you know, a good string of starts, and then next thing you know, they're out of the show.
1: And although I had a bit with Guriel last year when he just couldn't field anymore completely had the yips right yeah yeah back up as a left fielder and now look at him he's playing well
0: yeah I mean gosh he looks he looks so good in the outfield right now we're so lucky that we have him because we really need that depth uh, yeah in, in the outfield but um the ooh, last thing ooh, I want to nah. say I want to say one more thing with okay. Thomas Panome right. before the the station closes on the on the hype train. And it's that he he may have been DFA'd, but his baseball career is far from over. There's still time for him to either develop um, you know, another pitch or just try to figure out how to get some more control over what he does have because control was a major issue for him. And like you said, he was giving up a lot of home runs. He doesn't have overpowering stuff, but if he can sort of figure figure it out as far as control goes i could see him being a reliever that kicks around you know like edwin jackson type for a long long time um and you know maintains effectiveness in small doses i think that's i mean it's easy to be a reliever in that sense and that you can always you know get assignments that are easy uh and then it kind of protects your numbers a little bit Uh, but i don't know man i don't Think his career is over, not by uh, not by a long shot. No, he'll get
1: another shot somewhere. Um, yeah. Sticking with uh, the lower part of this news, uh, Trent Thornton placed in the IL this week. He's got loose bodies in his elbow. On his way to see uh, Doctor Andrews, who is typically never a good sign, but he did give our boy Bo Bichette some good news, where Bo's knee injury is just um, it's nothing structural, just. Kind of some strain just a strain so uh Bo may actually resume some baseball activities this weekend so maybe get on the field take some grounders maybe run the bases that kind of thing so he could be back uh before he, he might be back before too long uh, another guy who may be back before too long is uh ken giles a guy who's kind of been under the radar this season in terms of a guy who got hurt right away but he threw a bullpen uh this week and will throw another one on friday uh, everything in the first bullpen went well. He felt good. So they're going to slowly build them up He may spend some time at the alternate training site I'm thinking just maybe throwing some live BP to some guys trying to work up his uh, Pitch count to maybe about like 30 so that he is comfortable throwing in those late-inning in- late situations um, but the last thing that I want to really talk about uh, in this section is the uh, acquisition the purchase of first base slash DH Dan Vogelbach from the Seattle Mariners uh, a guy last year who hit 30 home runs and walked like 70-something odd times, uh, but only hit just over 200. So uh, it really like, reminds me of like an Adam Dunn profile, of some boomer <laughs> with no batting average. But he he wears out right-handed pitching, um, which is something that we need because our, our only really lefties in our lineup who are power hitters are Cavan and Rowdy. I guess Travis Shaw too. Um, but we do need another guy who can come off the bench in those late inning situations when they do put like a tough righty in, uh, and a guy who has home run power every time he steps to the plate. My question is for you, Patrick, I know you're a big fan of Rowdy Tellez, as as am I. But what does a situ, what does a purchase like this mean for a guy like Rowdy who does have options? Is Rowdy's spot on the roster safe? Um, man, that's
0: a hard question. I think with the with the acquisition of Dan Vogelbach, remember that we we got him for nothing pretty much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got him for some dollary dues uh, that we sent over to Seattle. But um, I think Vogelbach needs a year uh, or a season, I guess you could say, to just work out the kinks on on his swing, get some, some quality BP. Uh, you know. Get in on the uh, those simulated games or whatever they're doing the uh, on the alternate training site with the other guys because you know they're playing every day, uh, continuing yeah. to train. So I I just think it's a good opportunity for Vogelbach to, to get his swing fixed. I think he's got so much power, for a guy so who so much. He was yeah. an all star
1: last year. Yeah, and, and fell apart in the second half.
0: Even though it's, he had a terrible second half, even and even though he hit only two oh four, he was still able to hit 30 home runs, and he had 74 RBIs. I don't think his OB, uh, OBP was very good, um, just because his batting average wasn't good. He was kind of an all-or-nothing guy, which is similar to Telez, but Volgoback has power, and I think it's worth it to see whether or not he can, you know, refine his swing a little bit, maybe, uh, you know, get a little bit more practice um, at the alternate training site, and... Yeah. You know, maybe 2021 will be a little bit different because obviously we're having some issues with Vladdy. It's wild to me to hear that management is trying to keep Vladdy at DH for as long as possible to protect his health. If you're 21 years old, you should be made of rubber. You shouldn't have to worry about physical health. So I think Vogelbach is a nice little backup for our backup. And in this case, our backup is Rowdy and rowdy's been getting a lot of reps and he's hitting about 250 and i like that
1: i think and he's mashing dingers too he's exactly hits, he's he hit that he's had the second hardest hit ball of mlb season 117 miles per hour only behind john carlos stanton so
0: he's got he, power
1: he, when he hits it he hits it <laughs> he's
0: also starting to d- to develop a little bit more patience at the plate too
1: and that comes with time too right? we, we mentioned yeah. uh, the Alfred thing, right? I thought he just never really got a chance. Rowdy's been given a chance now a lot this year to play some more, which is great, and and we're seeing even from a guy like uh, like Teoscar be a lot more selective at the play. And we'll talk about Teoscar later in the show, um, but yeah, I think it's just a matter of time for Rowdy. I do think Vogelbach is really just meant as a substitute. That's my opinion on the matter, um, and I, I think he's just there to provide. That that late inning option as that power bat off the bench, especially if there's ever a game that uh, that say Rowdy starts, maybe they have to pinch hit for like say a Brandon Drury with Vogelbach, and then he can stay in the game at first base. So interesting, uh, interesting flexibility it gives their roster.
0: Yeah, totally. I agree. I I like this acquisition because it cost us nothing but money, and anytime you can get something for pretty much nothing, it's a good thing.
1: place to stop. Okay. Okay, so now that we've gone through the news, let's get to the week that was. So the Jays have gone 7-10 since last recorded. That included a six game winning streak uh, before we lost that extra inning nail butter to the Rays. Um, we wanted to do a short recap of this, just because there's a lot of games to go through. Uh, so starting with the, the series against Baltimore, or as we lovingly called them, the Shitbirds, um, First game, were you? Great start. I mean, we've got here in the, in the sheet no walks, which is awesome. Uh, second game, rocky start for Nate Pearson, but the boys battled back and ended up with a 9-8 extra innings victory. And then in the third game of the series, uh, Tanner Roark trademark start, goes five innings, gives up nine hits, but only uh, one earned run. There was an uh, unearned run as well, too. Uh, but the boys won 5-2 to two to complete the sweep. Um, there was one offensive star of this series patrick uh a guy who ended up with if my numbers aren't wrong 11 rbis in three games his name is grich daddy what are your thoughts on that guy
0: i was so happy to see grichic explode what a Uh, breakout yeah it was amazing i mean when we needed somebody to step up uh after losing two very tight games very frustrating Mm -hmm. games against tampa bay to come back and to sweep the Orioles like this in such a commanding way, with so much of our power uh, and uh, so much of our our bullpen just dominating in the back half of games, it was just it was amazing. Yeah. One thing one thing that really impressed me was that, uh, in particular, the comeback game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we were down we were down seven nothing. Uh, Pearson looked absolutely atrocious. Yeah, not uh, great. Was very disappointing. Uh, Yamaguchi came in and, and stabilized a little bit. Uh, and then our bullpen took it pretty much the rest of the way. Anthony Bass had two wonderful innings Yeah, uh, in the ninth and the tenth. Because uh, this one went to extra innings, didn't it?
1: Yeah, it was good to see him. Uh, it was good to see Bass throw two innings. It's nice to see that he has that in him.
0: Yeah, and Romano looked good, too, uh, in the eighth. It was just really... Im- it was an impressive performance because they came back. They were down 7 nothing. It was probably very deflating to see Pearson, who is their number one prospect, get roughed up like that. Uh, obviously, after the fact, we found out, you know, Pearson had to go on the IL. He was hurt. Yeah. Don't know when that happened, but it sucked to see. But uh, Gritch had a home run in that game, and he had four RBIs himself, and Travis Shaw, who... You know, otherwise has had a pretty mediocre season for us at the plate. Went two for five with a home run and three RBIs, but it was small ball in the tenth inning that got us the win.
1: It was so you're gr- telling me the Blue Jays played small ball.
0: Yeah, there was some sacrifice <laughs> bunting. There was some yeah, some good two q- strikes. Yeah, good quality base running, uh, and then in the end, Guriel was able to knock home the uh, the winning run. What, what just as a side note, one thing that was uh, very impressive to me was it, in this like stretch of 10 games we're talking about, uh, Gurriel has really found his swing, and I think it's great to kind of see one of our younger guys who is – I know he's not part of the big three, but I always include Gurriel, uh in the conversation when it comes to talented youth that we have on this team, and he's yeah. locked in for such a long contract too. I just think Rangers. he's got – He's got mega power upside and his 162 game average uh, batting average. Do you want to take a guess what it is? I'll give you a hint. And it's, it's what I believed his, uh, his ceiling or well, his floor actually to be. Um, said what, it, like
1: 280?
0: Yeah. I think he's a 280 career hitter. And so far he's proven me correct. The yeah. thing to keep in mind is though, he had some struggles and he also had some injuries. So his numbers are a little bit wonky. But all of this being said, um, 280 hitter, and he's he's got something around 34, 35 home runs in those 162 games. So.
1: Yeah, well, uh, he's the uh, fourth fastest Blue Jay to 100 RBIs. 176 games it took him. So.
0: That's right. The Um, only ones I think who have done it faster were uh, Delgado, JPR, and Sabia. And. There's the name. Yeah, and Josh Phelps.
1: Blue Jay's a legend, Josh Phelps.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, um, but uh, good for those guys. And, um, you know, our our pen, I saw something somewhere. I don't remember if it was Blue Jays Reddit or if it was Blue Jays Twitter or if it was uh, just r slash baseball. But the Jays actually have, uh, statistically speaking, uh, they're tied with the Oakland Athletics for the best pen. They're yeah. fourth in ERA, fourth in uh, FIP. Um, but there's a couple other stats that they lead in. And it's kind of amazing how two or three years makes such a big difference when it comes to the this team and its construction. Now we lean very heavily on a high quality bullpen while our starters are still uh, trying to figure things out. But um, yeah, what a what a great week though to be a Jays fan.
1: For sure. Yeah. Let's get into the doubleheader with the Phillies. So after the series at Baltimore, flew home for a quick. A uh, double dip with the Phillies in at, at Buffalo at Salem Field. Um, game one, Chase Anderson, he only lasted three and two thirds, uh, just still building him up. But then we had the Major League debut of Julian Merriweather. Now, <laughs> these fans have been waiting for this guy, wondering if he exists. He's who we had acquired from Cleveland when we had traded Josh Donaldson away a couple seasons ago. Guy who was recovering from uh, tommy john surgery he's in his, his upper 20s now but he came in and yeah he was everything as promised struck out the first battery faced uh went in the third three k's and one hit looked great um one three to two right biggio was great two for three with a ribby girlie had the grill had to walk off hits um and then in game two so this was the The entertaining game, one of the better games of the season, another big comeback. So Trent Thornton was activated from the IL before the game to start. He was only able to last two-thirds of an inning. He gave up five hits, one walk, and six earned runs. Now, granted, three of the hits were bloops. Unfortunate, but it does happen. Uh, Jake Wegespack had to come in and and kind of mop up that mess, and he was able to deliver uh, two and a third innings. Shunya Maguchi, who, after his first couple of Rocky appearances against Tampa and against uh, the Washington Nationals, he's looked great. He ended up going two and two thirds innings. And then Anthony Kay came in, A.J. Cole came in to lock that one up. But the final score ended up being 9 to 8 for the Blue Jays, which included a monster uh, comeback in the eighth inning. Um, Ronnie Telez, Teoscar Hernandez, Guriel all had home runs. And that was the game where Rowdy did hit that absolute motherfucking rocket, excuse my French, (laughs) but it was one seventeen, and the Blue Jays have that little WestJet miniature flight deck set up in right field in Buffalo. It went over that and rumor has it, it actually uh, damaged uh, Richard Griffin, I believe his name is. He used to work for the Toronto Star. He's now like the Blue Jays press coordinator actually dented his car in the parking garage out past Rayfield. So
0: <laughs> that's uh, why
1: was an angry boy there. Um yeah, that game, what are your thoughts on that comeback? So we saw them come back against Baltimore in similar fashion, but exact same score, nine to eight. Not an extras this time, but what do you think about the team just not quitting after going down six nothing?
0: Uh I think it just goes to show how hungry they are to get to five hundred yeah. and get above five hundred because Uh, Game one uh, against the Phillies, that was us getting to 500 finally after working so hard. uh, Having these tight games against Tampa early on in the season, struggling. Um, You know, winning that game three to two. That's what 500 looks like. That's the kind of gritty performance you got to get out of all your starters uh, and your pen. The pen absolutely tore the Phillies apart. (laughs) 3.1 innings of relief eight strikeouts they only gave up two hits yeah in 3.1 innings which doesn't seem like a lot but in a seven inning game that's slightly under half of the game
1: eight of their eight of their ten outs for strikeouts too so it was
0: it was insane (laughs) merriweather looked great wilmer font looked great and jordan romano looked excellent uh they were getting the clutch hitting with from guriel and then the boys, uh, you know, they had that that massive deficit at the start. Thornton, um, I set it off, off microphone last week. Thornton didn't look right. It looked like he came back too soon. Uh, yeah. He was tugging at his elbow, and when he got yanked from the game, you just knew that he was hurt There's something wrong.
1: Something was going on there. But, yeah, he is, of course, like we said earlier, on the IL. Got those loose bodies.
0: But um, oh. what I really want to talk about, uh, out of all of this the hitting was phenomenal and it was amazing uh, and it made me very very happy to see uh, all of our guys you know tear the cover off the baseball in the late innings very clutch Uh Sean yamaguchi 2.2 innings worked uh gave up two walks but no hits and four strikeouts i yeah. think he's he's finally dialed in to what uh you know what he needs to do in order to be a consistently strong, reliever, and uh, I loved it. It was great,
1: for sure. Now let's get into the four gamer with Tampa Bay, back at our favorite place to play, Tropicana Field. Um yeah. Set with deep, deep sarcasm. Um, <laughs> I ended up with a series split. Four gamer, right? That week, uh, wrap around weekend series. We ended up splitting the four games. First game yeah. was a six to five victory. In 10 innings, um, our boy uh, Thomas Hatch and Jordan Romano ended up finishing that game off for us as the Jays were able to come back for that one. Uh, Kevin Biggio, 3 for 3 with a ribby in that game. But why was he hitting eighth here? I, I wrote in the notes here that Kevin's slash line going into that game batting leadoff was 304, a 484 on base percentage. Uh in the leadoff spot. So getting on base nearly 50% of the time that he was hitting in leadoff. So Charlie Montoyo, for some reason, like he tried with Teoscar Hernandez earlier in the season, was like, you know what? I'm gonna lengthen the lineup and I'm gonna bat one of my worst hitting players this season, Danny Jansen in third, which so that that game we were I think we were lucky to win. Um game two, another great start from Hunjin Ryu uh game three we are, sorry we ended up losing that game though two to one um as anthony bass unfortunately blew that one on a walk off in the ninth and then in um sorry in the 10th geez another extra inning game my fault and then uh in the next game another one run loss for the jays uh this is where trent thornton actually did get hurt right uh anthony k uh, ended up pitching three innings in that game. Ryan Barucki had a rough couple thirds. Wegas Pack had a rough inning in that, in a bit. Um, So that one was just kind of a rough pitching game all all night. And then the final game of the series, another typical Tanner Roark start, just like last time, went five innings. This time gave out three runs on six hits and three walks, a couple home runs, but did enough. Thomas Hatch once again came in with two great innings and was able to keep it close so that Randall Gritcha could hit that Longoria corner home run down the left field line uh, to give the Jays the lead and the victory. Now, Patrick, my big takeaways from this series, starting pitching. So we saw Thornton get injured. We saw Shoemaker get injured. That's putting a big, big strain on our rotation. And I think we're going to see some bullpen days coming up. because Now that's Shoemaker, Thornton, and our boy Nate Pearson on the I.L., so our only starters right now. Our uh, Hunchin Ryu, uh, Chase Anderson, and Tanner Rourke. Um We're going to need some help there. We'll talk about that in a future episode, spoiler alert. But besides pitching in that four-game series against Tampa, what were your big takeaways? Uh,
0: I think we're starting to see Biggio emerge as our MVP, and maybe it might not be too much of a stretch to say uh, Biggio would end up being our mvp uh in the american league 100 he's been fantastic as a leadoff. he's got the power his obp is uh second in the majors uh if i'm not mistaken it's been a while since i checked the numbers um only been a day or day i think since i checked i don't know what yesterday uh, yesterday's yeah. game would have impacted but uh still high <laughs> yeah and i mean a big problem that we're having these games that we're losing by one run it's it's the back half it's a seven eight nine spot uh in our lineup they are absolute black holes when it comes to hitting we've got brandon jury with an obp of 0.184 getting regular starts for the team it's a problem i know and one last thing i would say about this whole series because i'm sick to death of talking about the tampa bay rays not only are they the best team in our division um Four out of the six losses that we have to the Rays this season were run one-run games. So if you think about that, our record is 14-14 is and 14 as of right now. And, you know, you take away four of those losses and, uh, you know, make them four wins, we'd be leading the division right now. But that's the thing is great teams find ways to win those one-run games uh our record against the rays this season is going to finish up at four and six that's actually better than i thought it was going to be because we only play them 10 times um mm. it's almost a relief yeah that it's over because they are definitely the toughest team for us to play uh when it comes to the uh the division
1: Just something about the matches up so well against us, and yeah, Yeah. like you said, it's it's a relief that it's over because now we can look forward to ten games against the Yankees in September. Yay!
0: Yay! We got our asses kicked by the Rays. Yeah, but in the middle now, the good news is that we've got this three game stretch against the Red Sox, four against Baltimore, uh, Baltimore, two against the Marlins, and then four again uh before we face the yankees so yeah. that right so there a, so you tell me
1: a chance <laughs>
0: yeah i mean that is what three four that's seven eight nine ten eleven twelve we've got 13 games between the end of the Rays series and when we play the start to play the yankees at the end of the season
1: i think you've got to find a way to win nine of those 13 games
0: uh nine. i think if you want to make the playoffs that's how you do it yeah i yeah. i would agree totally yeah i'm um, got to have
1: that buffer um last game of the recap, the Red Sox last night, their Boston showed us that their offense is still, it's still Boston Red Sox offense, right? We saw Anderson get a little bit roughed up. He did go five innings, came back out for the sixth, walked the leadoff batter, was then pulled. Wilmer Font came in and yeah, yeah he got shellacked, gave up three yeah. hits, four earned runs, including the run that, uh, not including the run that, um, Anderson gave up. AJ Cole comes in and he gives up two hits in a run. so all' I'm told the sixth inning was a six run sixth for Boston. We did see the Blue Jays debut of one Travis Bergen. He was a guy who had been rule five last season by the uh, San Francisco Giants was sent back to the Jays later that year, pitched in Buffalo at the end of last season. so he was called up from the taxi squad uh, yesterday to pitch in that game. When inning in two thirds, give up one hit, walked one, but also struck out three. So a great Blue Jays debut for him. Uh, but Denny Jansen, two for four. His first hit was granted a little trickler of a ground ball, then did loop a lazy line drive into center field. Good to see him maybe start to break out. The guy just needs to find some holes. He's been putting the balls in play. His on-base percentage is still over 300, even though he's batting in like 140. So he's still getting on base just needs to hit the ball some more. But again, you meant you have in the notes and I agree with you. 184 OBP for Brandon Drury. At what point do we just draw the line in DFAM? I think that point is coming. Unfortunately, um, Dan Vogelbach isn't with the team yet. And we still have a guy named Joe Panic who has basically identical numbers. But the good news is your boy Santiago Espinal has been playing better. He had a three-hit game against Boston yesterday, his former team, or former organization, I guess. Um, any thoughts on that Boston game from yesterday?
0: It's a game that we should have won. Uh, yes. It is infuriating that we didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that we didn't, it made me uninstall my MLB at bat <laughs> app <laughs> on my phone because I was tired of seeing the updates while I was oh, working man. on our sheet for this episode. It just made me really, really mad. We should have won this game. The and we fact didn't. that we were
1: out to a four nothing lead in the first inning.
0: I just I, I have a hard time talking about it, but I will say again, yeah. back half of the lineup they gotta step up. They and do. like like we just said, out of those uh, out of those uh, games that we've got, the three uh, with the Red Sox, four with the Orioles, two with the Marlins. So out of those thirteen games that we've got, uh, that was one that we should have won. And it's gone now, which means we've got to try to win nine of the next 12 games in order to be in good playoff position before we start playing
1: the I tell you, not having Bo Bichette really shows the weaknesses of that bottom three because if you have him in the lineup, and it's just a bottom two.
0: Yeah. so um, It makes a a huge huge difference.
1: Huge difference having that guy hitting number two for you. That being Um, said,
0: since Bo got hurt, our record is very, very good. Yeah.
1: Was a reality? In? But yeah, with that being said, yeah, that's the week that was for the Blue Jays. Seven and three, like Patrick mentioned, 13 games coming up, uh, winnable games. You got to take advantage and solidify your spot for the Blue Jays as that eighth best team in the American League for that last playoff spot. Alright, well moving into the last portion of today's episode, we're gonna bring back a thing we haven't done in a while We're gonna talk about some uh, professor Anderson stuff. So I'm gonna get really statistical on you up in this bitch So this week we're gonna take a look at the changes our boy Teoscar Hernandez Has made at the plate this season now before I get into Teoscar I had a really hard time choosing uh, Teo over Grich Daddy for this segment because they have both made such dramatic changes in their approaches this season now, I had to uh, update the stats today, so I'm using Statcast data for a lot of this. And the reason I want to look at Teoscar is because of his batted ball profile. So he's made a couple of very big changes so far this season. The first thing that I noticed is ground ball percentage. Last season, 39%. So far this season, 31%. So dropping his ground ball rate is a huge factor. Uh, this is mainly due to his average launch angle increasing from 15.3 degrees last year up to 18.1 this year. So he's hitting more balls higher in the air. Uh, And this is actually written in line with MLB averages. uh, Optimal launch angle is somewhere between 14.6 and 20.7 degrees. We see most home runs somewhere between 17 and 21 degrees. Um, His exit velocity second piece here is up dramatically. Doesn't sound like much, but he's increased his uh, average exit velocity from 91.1 to 94.6 miles per hour. Obviously, the harder a ball gets hit, the further it's going to travel or it can travel, and there will be therefore less time for defenders to make a play. Um, Word of caution here, a high exit velocity does not always guarantee positive results. Uh, To Oscar's teammate, our boy Vladdy Jr., his average exit velocity 91.4 91.4 miles per hour but unlike Teoscar his launch angle is 4 degrees. Yes, 4 degrees. So a full 14 degrees lower than Teoscar. It's very tough to hit home runs, Patrick, I'm not sure if you know this, if you're hitting at a 4 degree launch angle because that is barely off the ground. Um <laughs> <laughs> so the result here really in the change in launch angle and exit velocity is barrel rate. Now what is a barrel? So barrels are a relatively new stat. Uh, it's a classification of batted balls that lead to a combination of at least a 500 batting average and a 1.50 slugging percentage. Now, those numbers I just said, 500 and 1.50 are typically low. So in 2016, uh, which is the second year after barrels became an official stat, the average and slugging percentage on a to ball were an 822 batting average and a 2.386 slugging percentage. In other words, if you barrel a ball, you are likely going to get a hit. Now, for a ball to be classified as being barreled, uh, it has to have an exit velocity of at least 98 miles per hour. It also needs to fall between a uh, 26 to 30 degree launch angle at that speed. Now, for every additional additional mile per hour of, launch, or of exit velocity, the launch angle for a barreled ball also uh does decrease as well so as the ball gets hit further or it gets harder, or it gets hit harder sorry uh, the launch angle can decrease as the ball will travel further so the max barreled ball rate that they have a, a launch angle for is 116 miles per hour now at that exit velocity the launch angle can fall between anywhere from 8 to 50 degrees so uh, the too-long don't-read for this, the TLDR, is if you hit the ball between 14 and 20 degrees at 98 miles per hour plus, you're going to have a good time. Um, now, how does this relate to Teoscar? So his barrel percentage rate this season is up from 10.6 to 18.9%. So basically, he has doubled his uh, barreled balls uh, this season. That's a massive increase. So due to his jump in barrel balls, his hard hit percentage, which is an exit velocity of over 95 miles per hour, has jumped from 41.5 up to 60.3 percent. So 6 out of 10 balls that Teoscar is hitting are having an exit velocity of 95 miles per hour plus. Now this means that he is hitting the ball harder and at the optimal launch angle. So in summary, after statistically vomiting all over the place, Tasker (laughs) is attempting to establish himself as a premier power hitter in baseball. He is currently sitting fifth in average exit velocity, fourth in hard hit percent, that's that 60% we just talked about, and tenth in barrels per plate appearance. Uh, It's been an impressive start to COVID season for Tio. Hopefully he can keep it up two things that i'm watching for him are the walks and the swings and misses his walks are still low and he is actually swinging at more pitches outside of the zone this season but as long as he keeps connecting he's going to be fine but if the hits and the home runs uh, dry up for a period of time we could be in for a free fall in his numbers patrick i just vomited some stats anything you want me to clarify any questions comments or concerns
0: I think when it comes to uh, to Tiasco Hernandez, we've been waiting for a really long time for him to establish himself at the plate. We knew he was capable of this when we got him from Houston. Uh, We knew that he had the power upside. We knew that he had the ability to find uh, ways to put the ball out of the ballpark. And he's finally, you know, seemingly putting it all together this year. And he currently leads uh, the league in home runs with 11. And only one other Jay has ever hit 10 home runs in our first 26 games uh, of a season, and that was Carlos Delgado all the way back in 2001. I think I might have mentioned that stat last week uh, or sometime very recently, whether it was Twitter Mm -hmm. or somewhere else. Uh, But what really impresses me about all of this is that Teoscar Hernandez is about to turn 28, uh, I think, at the end of the season or something like that. Yeah. Uh, we still have years of control. Uh, I think this year coming up is his first arbitration season. That might, is correct. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so there's lots of time for him to, you know, get a contract that he is deserving of. And mm-hmm. I kind of see him as a guy who should be our automatic cleanup hitter from now until whenever he cools off, if ever. And even if he does 100%. cool off. Having guys on for him, it, this is what we need. We need guys who can connect with runners in scoring position early on in the season. When we were two, three, four games below five hundred, that was our big problem. Was l- late innings, we'd have our guys come up, they'd face the relievers of the Rays, and they would just whiff, yeah. or they they just weren't taking pitches. And Kavan was out there, you know, bless his heart, he was out there swinging at everything, <laughs> desperate to you know to knock home runners and he was striking out all over the place too. And it was just really hard to watch.
1: Yeah. But, I know. Uh, one thing that I've been impressed with, you mentioned Biggio, I'm um, sorry to interrupt you, but he has actually walked more than he's struck out over the last 15 games. So, uh, he's been getting on base at a staggering clip, but yeah, Teoscar, um, I was impressed. So I, I was looking at these stats and you was having a great season, but just the fact that he has really increased all of his power metrics. Um, that that showcased the best power hitters in the league and the fact that he's in the top 10 in multiple categories. Those are just those three categories I mentioned are just three of the ones he's in. Um, The Blue Jays as a team have three of the six hardest hit balls this season. Rowdy is second, um, Teoscar is in sixth, and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is in fifth on that rocket line drive home run that he hit um, a a few days ago as well. So the Blue Jays are hitting the ball hard, one guy that is quietly um, kind of in the hard hit rankings for exit velocity is Travis Shaw. So he's in the, like, the top 20 in MLB and average exit velocity. Uh, he's hit some hard balls as well too. Obviously he's going to strike out more and he just doesn't have the, I guess, showmanship of a Teoscar or a Vladdy. Um, but he's been quietly in there too. So the Blue Jays have some boppers on this team. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the rest of the season brings for, for Guy Hernandez.
0: Yeah, me too, man. I mean, there's a lot more baseball left to be played, but it's nice to see halfway through the season or just about halfway through the season. (laughs) Yeah. Believe it or not, the Jays are a 500 baseball club and they are holding on to that eighth and final playoff spot. And we might actually get to see some meaningful October baseball, which hasn't happened in a few years. So this team wasn't expected to compete as early as it was, and it's definitely going to be taking advantage of the restructured playoff format for this season. But uh, nonetheless, man, things are looking up. I'm really happy about it, and I'm excited to see what happens over the next few days before we uh, get back in here and uh, talk about the trade deadline.
1: Yeah, so yeah, with that being said, the next time you hear from us, we will be doing our trade deadline preview talking about the needs cough cough pitching of the Blue Jays uh and hopefully some bench depth. But we'll get to that next time. But that brings us to the end of today's show. So before we head out, I do want to just remind folks that you can find us on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. Uh we can listen to us on Anchor, iTunes, uh Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean. Whatever your grandma listens to podcasts on, we're probably there too. But please, wherever you do listen to us, leave us a review. It does help us get seen more uh, by more people. Shout out to our friends at Blue Jays Aggregator who keep uh, us in their uh, mentions every week. Sharing our new shows with all the Blue Jays fans out there. But we'll see you on Blue Jays Twitter at BFMB Podcast. For Patrick Marsh, I am Justin Anderson, and we will see you in a few days.